So grab your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 4. We want to look at three verses. We looked at a large passage this morning, short one here this evening. Old Testament this morning, New Testament this evening. Colossians chapter 4. Uh, this passage is um, kind of a special one to me because um, when I was at Boyce and then you know, later in Southern, the class I did not want to take, so this is me confessing my own ego, the class I did not want to take, it was not Hebrew or Greek. I didn't want to take them, but the classes I didn't want to take was preaching. It was because um, my own insecurities. Um, um, and uh, the passage I preached from was this one. Uh, we were sort of assigned to go through Colossians, and this was the one that I picked. I, I wanted to pick the easiest one that required no creativity. So ever since then, when I come to this text, what you're going to get is pretty straightforward without creativity. I hope that's okay. Um, so it is special to me. Colossians chapter 4, you will stand with me out of reverence to God's word. We'll start in verse 2. By the way, the preaching classes were a real blessing. I'm thankful for them. I was just real nervous about it. Verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, as we gather, uh, as we often do with our Bibles opened, we ask that you would take what it is that we believe and transform our lives. Open our hearts and our minds, our eyes and ears, our mouth, our hands and our feet, that we will be transformed by the gospel of Jesus in obedience to your word. That we will walk in wisdom. Uh, and, and in the way of truth. And may I decrease so you can increase. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen. Seated. I came across a story recently that a big part of me thinks it can't be true. It just can't be true. I'll let you decide if it's true or not. But the story claimed and the main um, source for the story is the couple's son who uh, didn't know what else to do about his parents' marriage. And so eventually reached out to a, a producer, and then which later reached out to a news agency. And the son had claimed, and there seems to be strong evidence for it, that something had happened between his parents 20 years before that made his father so angry he had not spoken a word to her beyond a few grunts and pointing of the finger for 20 long years. Now, ladies... You thought you had to put up with a husband, right? I mean, can you imagine 20 years without hearing a word from your husband to you? That's why a big part of me thinks there's just no way a marriage can survive like that. It, it just can't, can't happen. A marriage, uh, really, one of the most important things of marriage is communication, in fact, you will hear a lot of um, marriage counselors say that if a couple is fighting, there is still a lot of hope for that marriage. It is when they stop fighting, they stop speaking, they stop talking to one another, then you are in really dangerous territory. Often when it comes to marriage, the issue is not do you speak and communicate, but how do you communicate to one another? And often you'll hear, I had no plan, uh, no plan to talk about this, often you'll hear is, is understanding how men communicate, how women communicate, and in particular how your spouse communicates, how you prefer to communicate, and then figure it out through that uh, process of education. But here is a man for 20 years had held on to his anger and resentment 
he refused to speak to his wife. Well, rightly, we, we would say that is wrong, it is shameful, and is poor practice. I would say something similar when it comes to our prayer lives. For many people, our prayer lives is equally anemic. Let's be honest. You and I have said something like, I'm so sorry to hear that. You are in my prayers. And if we're honest with ourselves, they ain't. We often say things like we will pray or that we will lift that up to the Lord or we'll sing and read about it. But, but if we really look at our prayer life, can we say that it is as strong as it could be or ought to be? Well, I came across the quote. Uh, this is in um, one of the best books on spiritual disciplines I have. The sinning man will stop praying. The praying man will stop sinning. Prayer, as we said this morning, is one of the most essential aspects of the Christian life. You can judge one's spiritual journey and the depth they have with God simply by prayer. And I would add reading the scripture, of course, but communication with God. It isn't more complicated than that. And it is as simple as that. At the same time, we, we, we just miss it so much. A couple of things that Paul says here about prayer worth looking at. The first thing he tells us is to be steadfast. You see there in chapter 4, verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Although it should be unnecessary for us to say, uh, but we should say it from the outset, and that is Christians are people who pray. And again, that, that should be obvious. But we should be able to state the obvious, should we not? That Christians are people who pray. The Bible, after all, uh, commands Christians to pray and then models for us those who continue to pray. Let me give you just a few examples. Jesus in Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, this is the Lord's Prayer. He opens up by saying, when you pray, right? Every preacher in the history of preaching has, no, has noted Jesus said, when, not if you pray. When you pray, that's chapter 6, verse 5. The next verse he says, but you, when you pray, just to get the point across, the next verse, chapter 6, verse 7, and when you pray. You're seeing a pattern here, two verses later, chapter 6, verse 9, pray then in this way. So you see, he starts out with how not to pray when you pray, so that then we can talk about how you ought to pray when you pray. But either direction, the point is clear, when you pray, you will pray is the assumption Jesus makes there. Luke chapter 18, verse 1, now he was telling them a parable to show that all, at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. They ought to pray at all times. Luke chapter 6, verse 12, Jesus, it says, quote, continued all night in prayer to God. All night in prayer. If those of us who are insomniacs, you want a good cure for insomnia, or at least something to be productive with your insomnia, get off your phone. This is me talking to myself and pray. Pray. And you will cast a lot of worries and cares off your shoulders onto one who can carry it. We can see the same commandments throughout the New Testament. Paul will write here in verse 4 to devote yourselves to pray, to be steadfast in your prayer, to pray continually. Acts chapter 1 verse 14, these all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. Interesting, there in the upper room after Jesus had been raised, what does Luke really begin his, 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 his book with? You need to see that what the disciples were doing at the resurrection of Jesus, awaiting the ascension of Christ, was they were praying. They were praying. Acts chapter 6, verse 4. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. You remember, this is the context of deacons. 
The apostles were saying we're spending so much time um, uh, in, in, in doing necessary things in the local church that we are, we are neglecting the things we are specifically called to do. That is prayer and the ministry of the word. Deacons open up the door and the time for uh, the apostles to pray even more. Romans chapter 12, verse 12, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. Acts chapter 10, verses one and two, story of Cornelius. Now there was a man of Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout, devout man who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people. Well, all that's good stuff, but here's how it ends. He prayed to God continually. And then we can, of course, think of the text that probably comes immediately in the mind. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, where Paul tells us to pray without ceasing. And we can talk about the specifics of what Paul means by that. But what I've often found is what we want is to find wiggle room in the phrase praise without ceasing so that we do not have to pray without ceasing. But the message is very clear. We are expected to pray, to be steadfast in prayer. Because just as when you stop communicating with your loved one, your relationship is on the rock. So too, when we cease to pray to God, our spiritual lives are affected. Luther is right when he says, As it is the business of tailors to make clothes and of cobblers to mend shoes, so it is the business of Christians to pray. I love that. It is our business to pray. Whenever uh, Mary, Queen of Scots, was dealing with John Knox, the Scottish reformer, she would say something to the effect, I do not fear the army of England. I fear the prayers of John Knox. Let it be that this pagan world would say the same thing about their Christian neighbor. We must be steadfast in prayer. We must be continually devoted to it and faithful to it. Secondly, we are called to be specific. Notice again, continue steadfast in prayer, being watchful in it in thanksgiving. That word watchful is interesting. Its basic meaning is to stay awake, right? So be awake when you pray. Now, pause there. Duh. Can you bounce a basketball asleep? No. You can rock a baby asleep. Every parent has, has figured that out, right? Let's be honest. You can rock it. You can do this sort of thing, and then you stop, and the baby starts to cry. And in the middle of your dream, right, you just start rocking that baby. I'm convinced every parent figures it out. But that's about it. You can't pray while you're asleep. So why do we need to be told to be awake while you pray? Well, the issue isn't to, to take that, that literally, um, but to understand what it is that he, he is saying. There is a story that I think Paul may have in mind here. Can you think of a time when, let's say, a handful of disciples or a couple handfuls of disciples were supposed to be praying, but instead they fell asleep? Yeah, they're in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember that Jesus ordered them, pray, pray for yourselves, pray for me, pray. And, and what did they do? They, it was late. They, they, you know, these teenage disciples had had too much caffeine and sugar, and so they ended up falling asleep, right? Uh, this was a lock-in they just weren't prepared for, so they ended up falling asleep. Right? And so you wonder if maybe Paul has something like that in mind. But the basic idea is, is to uh, pray looking for what it is you are praying for. To be alert. Your translation may say something like that. To, to be awake, to be alert, to know that what it is you pray for, to look for it. It isn't just words that you're uttering. We pray as people with hope. And we need to be alert and aware of the needs surrounding ourselves 
and hope that God will hear them and bring glory to his name. This means, I believe, or at least one of the applications we can get of this, is that we ought to learn to pray specifically. Let me give you just simple advice. If your prayer life sounds a lot like a Miss America pageant, it's not specific enough. If it is, I just want world peace, well, add something to that, right? I've, I've, I've done enough in academic stuff and in other circles to know that one of the biggest challenges that students have in writing a paper or giving a presentation is their subject isn't specific enough. There was a lady I was talking to recently. Uh, we, we were talking about something else, and, and, and she, 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 she's got to write a thesis. I think it's for a master's, PhD, something like that. And uh, she's nervous to death. I said, the number one thing you need to know about a thesis or dissertation, the number one thing is the more specific you can be, the better the paper will be. Right? So if you're going to write on the history of the Kentucky Wildcat basketball, great, too broad. Why don't you write about a specific player at a specific season that he had and maybe even a specific part of the season, the SEC tournaments, his trip over to Maui? You know, be as specific as you can be. I would say something similar about prayer. If your prayer is simply something like, God, feed the hungry, that's good. That's good. But has God put on your mind someone in particular who is in need in that area that you can lift up and intercede for? God, I, 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 wish, I wish our city uh, loved Jesus more. That, me too. Is there someone in particular you can lift up in prayer? A neighbor, a friend, a coworker? To be specific, be watchful, be alert. Be specific with your prayers. Maybe you can pray specifically for the couple in that other cubicle who are going through that divorce, a mother who has recently lost her child. But, but, but pray that, that God would use you in your neighborhood. Pray specifically. Pray awake. I love this. If, if, you, if you get Martin Luther's uh, table talk, so you're going to get a lot of Luther and Knox, I guess, this evening. But Martin Luther's table talk was basically... Uh, Luther would invite a lot of his students over for dinner. He wouldn't tell his wife that. Um, so so uh, I don't recommend you men doing that. And uh, so what they would do is, is um, they would just do like a Q&A at dinner time. This is the great Martin Luther. And they would start to write down his answers. And Luther was known to, to drink German beer. And so you can usually tell when he's had more than he probably uh, God would allow. But nevertheless, um, you can get some really just rich insights from Luther that are just off the cuff, and they're organized by subjects, justification, prayer, whatnot. Here's one of my favorites. It says this in Table Talk. When Luther's puppy happened to be at the table, he looked for a morsel from his master and watched with open mouth and motionless eyes. Luther said, Oh, if I could only pray the way this dog watches the meat. I love that line. All his thoughts are concentrated on the piece of meat. Otherwise, he has no thought, wish, or hope. I love that. I love that. That we are like that dog. I'm, I'm working with, since we're talking about dogs, and then you talked about my dog. That's the way this works, right? You can have our cat, but I like my dog. And, and our dog's still got a lot of pup in her, and, which means she's crazy. And you've heard me complain that cats are like preteen girls. Dogs are like preteen boys full of energy, no common sense, right? And, and so she's really good at fetch, right? And, and the, her problem is she doesn't bring it back to you. She plays this uh, hide and seek 
game, right? You can't have it. It's mine. Nah, 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 nah. I don't, I don't know what to do with that, to be quite honest with you. She's like a preteen uh, boy. Anyways, um, but we grab the ball. We were doing this today. And uh, uh, I would say, sit. And she'll sit. And she will stare at the ball. Absolutely stare. So if you were to take that ball and you just run, her eyes would just follow that ball. And the minute you reach back, she's gone, right? Yeah, there's no stopping her. She knows the ball's going. So too ought our prayer to be specific, to be careful, to be alert, to be ready. Thirdly, be grateful. Again, we're still there in verse two. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Prayer should not be drudgery. Should not be drudgery. Do not confuse prayer with duty. Prayer ought to be a delight. Let me, let me get you to try and experiment, see how this works. Get you uh, any family member you want. For me, I would pick my little girl, right? Uh, and she gets home from school. She's real chatty. What if she gets home from school? I sit down across from her and says, okay, get it out of your system, Right? And I'm yawning the whole time and just checking my watch, right? How, how do you think that conversation is going to go? Really saying that they not very good, right? The point of communication is delight. Big, oftentimes, the, the best part of communication is to hear from the one you love, to hear their story, to hear their experience. One of the best nights of, of, of our marriage was when I got home from, from Africa. It was late at night. My wife and I were exhausted. But we could not go to sleep because we had so much to talk about, right? And I was the chatty one, being that I just come from another country. Man, we, that was a great night for our marriage. And all it was was communication, nothing else. Just talk. We were too tired to cook a snack or watch a movie. No, uh, we laid in bed and talked. She wanted to hear about baby Zachariah, little boy Zachariah. I got pictures of him and, and all that. And, right? I didn't even show her pictures because we didn't have cell phones then. Um, didn't even do that. We just, just talked. There's something delightful in a communication with those that we love. So ought our prayers. To pray with thanksgiving. That's worth meditating on, isn't it? That we should have an attitude of gratitude uh, to the God in whom that we, we speak with. Well, Paul exhorts the Colossians to pray with thanksgiving. Um, this is not just about telling God what you were thankful for, though that is a crucial aspect of prayer. It's the part of adoration part. Um, but... It is also that we pray with an attitude of thanksgiving in our prayer. If it is drudgery, you're doing it wrong. If it is delight, I think you're going in the right direction. Our countenance should be one of thanksgiving. We are speaking to our creator and redeemer, a thought worth meditating on. And he delights to hear our voice. Why else would we want to pray? Well, let me, yeah, I think this is fourthly. Verse three, be gracious. Verse three. At the same time, pray also for us that we may that God may open a open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. It's interesting is is that while Paul is exhorting the Colossians to pray, he covets their prayers specifically. I love that. He believes in prayer so much he solicits it. I just I just love that. He is in prison at this time. We, we see that here. We see it in verse 18 of this chapter. And he wants the Colossians to pray that God will open a door of opportunity to him to spread the gospel. Paul is essentially asking the Colossians to intercede on his behalf. We talked about that today. It's what Solomon did for Israel. Is that he interceded as a royal priest would for his people. 
One of the simple ways to evaluate the health of your prayer life is to ask, we talked about this briefly this morning, ask, do you pray more for yourself or more for others? Are you always interceding for yourself or are you always interceding for others? If it's God fix this, do that for me. There's nothing wrong with that, but you don't want that in abundance. What we would rather have in abundance is intercession on behalf of others, those who are in need. Because think about it. That's what we want other people to do for us. Would you rather have an entire congregation praying for you or only you praying for you? What if we all just interceded for one another? How much more glorious would that begin? And you and I can start an intercessory ministry right now. If this is a discipline you need to develop, I recommend a pad and a, a piece uh, and, a, and a pen. Get you a prayer journal. They cost like what, five bucks at Walmart's. Go to Dollar Tree. I'm sure you can get one there too, right? Um, go to any pastor's conference. You will have more uh, journals than you could ever use in a lifetime. Some of you have been doing this for decades. Let me tell you, I bet you can look back here and, and God will remind you of things you've prayed for. And you can say, man, I'd forgotten about this. This is a low moment for our church or for my marriage or for our neighborhood or for, for my workplace. And, and man, I'm looking back. I can see what God did there. There's a real benefit to that. You can start a ministry of intercession right now. You can text one another how we can best pray for one another. And you can, you can do it right then and there. Someone solicits prayer. How about we pray right now over the phone or, or to the side or, or whatever it, it might be. One last thing here in verse 4, and that is that prayer ought to be gospel saturated. Verse 4, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Notice what it is Paul is asking the Colossians to pray for. Now, again, put yourself in Paul's shoes. If you were in prison for unjust causes, what would we expect the Colossians to intercede on Paul's behalf for? It would be, dear God, give him a good lawyer, a righteous judge, and the money to pay for it all. Get him out of there, right? That's what we pray for. And to a certain extent, that is the means by which God, answer, God would answer prayer. Yes, because you want his deliverance. And if deliverance comes by means of a better lawyer, yeah. Much in the same way, if, if what we want is healing, that will often come maybe by the hands of a better doctor a better hospital, different medicine, whatever it might be. So there isn't anything wrong with that. But Paul, wants, he solicits the prayer, not that he would be delivered, but that he would be effective. That's different, isn't it? Here, Paul is showing us that the most important thing we can pray for is the propagation of the gospel. All the issues we lift up in prayer can be more easily resolved through the means of the gospel. Now that is praying in faith. You want to deal with all the issues we have in our city, in our state, in our country, and there are plenty of them. The propagation of the gospel will resolve much of it. The recovery of the family, the better morals, everything else. The gospel is what it is that we want. The gospel is, and Paul wants them to pray for this. So if we prayed for the propagation and the spread of the gospel in our community as much as we prayed for personal needs or ask others to pray for the spread of the gospel in our community over their personal needs, what do you think would happen? We, we would do well to have gospel-saturated prayers. If conversion is indeed a miraculous event, and I believe it is, then conversion should be preceded by prayer. It should be preceded by prayer. 
And Paul wants every step of his ministry to be saturated with prayer. Not just his, but those who are in the kingdom of God. This is a radically different attitude than many Christians have today. Because Americans are always wanting and we have a sense of entitlement, we overlook the most important things. The glory of God, the propagation of the gospel. Well, we should ask ourselves here then, how is our prayer life? Does our prayer life look too much like that couple I talked about earlier uh, who hadn't talked to each other in 20 years? If we're honest with ourselves, is that what our prayer life looks like? Is that what our Bible reading life looks like? Or are we steadfast in prayer? Are we alert in prayer? Are we thankful in our prayer? And do we have at the core of what we want above all is the truth of the gospel to be known, known, to be made known, and Christ to be worshipped forever and ever. Let that be the source of our prayers. Well, what I want us to do is I'd like for us to close out in prayer. I feel like we should. I mean, that makes sense. But I want us to pray specifically. Uh, we've done this in the past in, in lieu of an invitation. In fact, I just copied and pasted what we prayed before. I want us to pray again if that's okay. So I'm going to call on some of y'all. Um, to pray. I'll open up in prayer. I want to pray for the salvation um, of sinners. Um, uh, Carrie, will you pray for the health of our church? Mark, will you pray for the health of our homes and marriages? And, um, and Don Douglas, will you pray for, uh, for the specific challenges of our community be they moral, be they be physical, spiritual, whatever it is. We want to intercede on behalf of our community. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll, we'll be dismissed. Our Father, thank you for your love and your mercy, this opportunity we have here in this service to gather, to worship your name, and to call out to you. But we often take for granted this opportunity that you have afforded us through the means of your Son risen from the dead. He is our great mediator and because of him we can take our cares and burdens straight to you lord in these last eight and a half years we've given them basically the same statistic 84 percent of the city at the very least is lost right now there are people driving by this church who statistically we can safely say are lost if they were died today they would die under the judgment of god